This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. There are all kinds of news and notes coming from Parliament Hill in the world of federal politics. In fact, you heard me share a couple of them off the top of the show. Clean drinking water for Indigenous communities, uh, looking at the dental care program, and a new policy for safe sport in Canada. Well, there's a lot more on the table, too. A bill for a national basic income program is being considered by the Senate. The Liberals will not be able to pass any Pharmacare legislation before the end of the year. And there's some proposed changes to how criminal records are handled in Canada. Journalist Megan Gilmore has been reporting on all of these stories. Megan is a reporter for Canadian Affairs. Hey, good morning, Megan. Nice to chat with you once again. Good morning, Dave. Welcome back. Uh, Megan, happy to be back, although I uh, wish that there wasn't as much mucus in my throat, but we will uh, bear on nonetheless, and uh, we'll count on Megan Gilmore to carry the load in this segment. So, <laughs> Megan, you and I have talked about uh, basic income a couple of different times on the program. Mm-hmm. What What's interesting here? What, what's the Senate looking at exactly yeah. in this? Sure. So the Senate uh, at their National Finance Committee is currently looking at a bill to create a framework for a national basic income program in Canada. So stop me if you've heard something like this before. (laughs) There are no details in the bill. This is a bill that would allow the government to create a framework for what a national basic income may look like. Now, basic income is a concept that many economists have been discussing for decades. There are various types of basic incomes. So uh, some uh, experts I spoke to about this when I was reporting on it for Canadian Affairs uh, a number of weeks ago would talk about how probably the closest thing to a basic income that we have right now in Canada is the Canada Child Benefit. Right. Uh, where families of children of a certain age get a certain amount uh, of money and like and like tax refunds and things like that. That's actually probably the closest thing that we have. That's the best comparison. Um, and the idea behind basic income is that it gives everybody in a set population kind of uh, the same amount of money to to work with. And there's different yeah, and there's different models. Uh, some are uh, some give like everybody in the country automatically the same amount of money. And most economists will say that that just doesn't work. Like you just can't really do that. Um, but there's different ways that you can do it. Again, this bill does not give any details about how basic income may be done. Um, it just would allow the government to create a framework to potentially create a basic income program. Yeah, it's an opportunity to sort of study the concept and study study the the idea, which is something the Senate actually has over the years done quite Mm -hmm. well. In fact, a lot of great legislation has come from this phase of the Senate putting their brain power and their resources together. And and like you said, national basic, a a basic income program is something that has been bantied about for a long time. There have been Mm -hmm. lots of experiments, right? There have been experiments in Manitoba. 
There was a pilot in Ontario. Newfoundland and Labrador is messing around with an idea for people between the age of 60 and 65. So certainly there is a conversation that is actively occurring mm-hmm. at the provincial mm-hmm. level right now. Mm-hmm. What What's your reaction to what at least has been laid out in regards to this bill? Right. So my reaction when you look at the text of the bill itself is, oh, there's not a lot of details. This sounds like something else that we've talked about a lot on this program. Um, uh, say it. Say can, it. Can say a disability. It. There what? What? Um, so. Um, which I don't think is always a bad thing. Like, like at least in this conversation about national basic income, like you said, this is this is a chance to discuss it. And actually, what's really interesting here is this piece of legislation was introduced in the Senate, like more like a year or so ago, um, on the same day that identical legislation was introduced in the in the House of Commons. Mm. And the House of Commons bill is kind of like not really doing anything. It's just it was introduced. That's what happened to it. It was a private member's bill introduced by the NDP. The Senate, like the Finance Committee, is actually doing it. They've had two different meetings, one in October, one in November, where different witnesses have come and talked about it. The Parliamentary Budget Office has been there, and the PBO, the Parliamentary Budget Office, are, are the people who come with the cost estimates for different programs. There's been academics. So it's, it's an interesting discussion. And I think regardless of if this results in legislation, Regardless of whether or not this results in a program at a national level or perhaps another tribe, something at a provincial or municipal level, um, it's an interesting conversation that is worth paying attention to. Um, and also, uh, we, we we did kind of joke about it, but the candidate disability benefit does actually play into this in a sense. Uh, there's some people I've heard over the years who've argued that if and when we get a Canada disability benefit, that the model that is dis- determined for that may be used in other basic income programs elsewhere in Canada. So the two of them are kind of in the same mm-hmm. wheelhouse of mm-hmm. public policy. Megan, let's let's switch gears here to something a little bit different, but it's the pharmacare legislation. The Liberals will not be meeting a target to get a pharmacare bill passed by the end of the year. It feels like the implications on this one are a little bit more political, but there are tons of trickle-down impacts. Yes. So for some background, when the NDP and the Liberals signed their supply and confidence agreement that would see the NDP support the Liberals and key votes up until the end of 2025, essentially allowing the minority Liberals to stay in power until 2025, the key, like the number one thing, first one on the list, that the NDP wanted was they wanted pharmacare legislation by the end of this year. Uh, That will not be happening. Uh, The government has conceded that. uh, A few weeks after we did our reporting this in Canadian Affairs, CBC had a piece uh, essentially saying the same thing. This will not be happening. There will not be pharmacare legislation by the end of this year. Uh, And it's it is yet to be determined how this will play out in the political realm. Obviously, NDP delegates at their convention earlier this fall sent out a strong message to the party saying that they want this done and they they you know think essentially they should stop supporting the liberals if you don't get pharmacare. Um, whether or not the NDP is actually going to stop supporting the liberals over this delay in pharmacare, I personally don't think they they will. I think they're gonna keep. With their supply and confidence agreement but it's 
Yeah, something to look out for, something to watch. Yeah. Uh, they did get dental care. Dental care dental care is starting. We saw that yesterday. Mm-hmm. Pharmacare, um, we'll wait and see. And yeah, again, the, like the, the pharmacare side of the equation, this is worth mentioning. The liberals did send over a framework to the NDP. They said, here's an idea we have, here's what it might look like. And the NDP yeah. came back and said, This is not acceptable. Not exactly. So so at, at the very least, there's a bit of a conversation going on here. It's not a dead in the water policy, but the deadline has been missed and that and that matters that yeah. definitely matters yeah, and it does matter and it and it matters i think it largely matters honestly just in my opinion um to the people on the ground uh right yeah. if you if yeah. you don't like if you're not living if you are not a politician if you don't work on the hill if you don't see how these things happen and how long it takes um for key pieces of legislation to be developed um I think that's where it's going to feel incredibly frustrating for people. Uh, and just like basic income, people have been discussing pharmacare for for years. The the model that the parliamentary budget officer put out earlier this fall, uh, they put put forward a model where um, based on the provincial uh, drug coverage in Quebec, they would take that and apply it to the whole country. And the model was individuals would pay five dollars. Um, for certain medications. That $5 pharmacare plan, I remember people talking about that when I was an undergrad. Yeah, yeah. So, like, this has been, this has been a long conversation. We shouldn't expect legislation to pass quickly. And we'll see what happens. We'll see what this means. I don't know if anyone really has a strong appetite for an election right now. So, uh, we'll see what this means. I could name one party that probably has oh, a strong okay. appetite for one, an election right yes, now, but uh, okay. but definitely no, no. But but, uh, but Megan, I'm with you. I, I don't see the NDP blowing yeah. up the supply and confidence agreement because of a missed deadline. I could see the the pressure really heating up though by the middle of next year if they oh, haven't totally. found if they haven't found common ground or they're not making progress. That's where I could really see the the brandishment of a possible election, and that's where again you and I are going to keep circling back to this national disability benefit if yeah. a, if an election gets called and the liberals lose a lot of this work on the national disability benefit goes up in smoke and that would be a huge bummer to a lot of people a huge bummer yes. to a lot of people right yes yes it would be and also just a note on pharmacare and this kind of does actually relate to some of the discussions on the can disability benefit I, another issue with pharmacare is the gaps in what provinces and territories provide under their provincial and territorial plans. So like mm, most Canadians mm. actually do have access to some form of prescription drug coverage. It's just not the same across the country. There's just a lot of gaps in it. Um, and a lot of it depends on what your working situation is like. If you have a working arrangement where you have an employer who is providing you with private insurance mm, to supplement mm. some forms of public insurance. So I think... Well, conversations about national plans are interesting and they can produce a lot of um, like policy wonk papers and opinions. I do think we need to remember a lot of these decisions happen at the provincial and the territorial level. And regardless of what federal parties decide to do, I do think it's worth examining what do we cover and not cover in provincial Pharmacare plans. Mm. Uh, Megan, th- this one's certainly an interesting one that we'll be following along throughout the course of yeah. next year and moving forward. But there's one more topic to get to this morning. Yeah. And this one is interesting because justice reform has been one of the federal and provincial issues 
that, that's been present this year, but perhaps mm -hmm. bubbling under the surface. You've got to get sort of to the fourth, fifth, or sixth article down the national politics page before you start getting to some of the justice reform and criminal justice reform topics going on. And you wrote a really interesting piece about some proposed changes to criminal records yeah. and how those might be changed to be a little bit more proactive for somebody go going through the rehabilitation process. So what's on deck here? What's being proposed in terms of a change to criminal records? Sure. So first of all, the proposal is not coming from the government. The proposal is coming from CARDIS, which is an independent, nonpartisan think tank that often studies how institutions function in society. And they have a group that looks at areas around work and economics. Uh, criminal records have been shown fairly clearly and consistently to considerably hamper somebody's ability to find paid employment after they are um, after they leave uh, prison or, or jail. So uh, what Cardis, again, independent think tank, is recommending is that criminal records be adjusted so that when an individual is reaching the end of this end of their sentence, they have the option to say, I would also like my criminal record to include other things I did while I was involved with the criminal justice system. So for example, if somebody was incarcerated and they took work training programs, which is, is a thing that's offered mm. at several institutions, that they would have the option of listing that on their criminal record as well. If they took part in spiritual care or forms of counseling, that that would be listed there as well. So that when a potential employer is looking at what is this person's, person's criminal record, they're not just seeing a record of what is often described as the worst moments of somebody's life. They're also seeing what did that person do while they were incarcerated. Mm. Uh, and it, the idea is that first, it gives employers more information about potential employees. But second, that it speaks to an idea that a human being is more than just one fact. So a human being is more than one characteristic. They are more mm. than just, do you have, have you been convicted of a crime for which a pardon has not yet been granted, right? Somebody is more than the sum total of their worst mistakes. So, or at least the worst mistakes have been captured publicly because we've all made mistakes. They're just not all of the public record. Um, so yeah, that's really what the idea is. And again, this is coming from independent think tank. And we'll see if anybody in the halls of parliament um, thinks about this or, or wants to give it um, some, some mm. a chance to mm. hear it. But it also, I think, raises questions for employers about how do you go about the interview process? Do you need to ask on an initial application? Do you have a, have you been convicted of a crime for which a pardon has not been granted? Does that need to be on the initial application? Um, I, and I, I think when we have this conversation, there have been a lot of different policies throughout the United States, particularly around this question about when and should employers ask about somebody's criminal history. No one is denying that that is actually important information for particular jobs mm -hmm. and that employers mm -hmm. need to know this. Like no one is saying that. But what people are saying is, when is this appropriate information and what do employers do with it? And if that's all they think, if all you get is a check in a box, what does that tell you about this potential job applicant? And could you be potentially not hiring a good worker because of a mistake they made that may not even be related 
to the mm. industry that they were flying for work in. Megan, all three of these articles are really interesting. Thank you for touching on all these subjects this morning. You're welcome. Thanks for having me for News Blitz. That is Megan Gilmore, a reporter for Canadian Affairs. You can find Megan's work at CanadianAffairs.net. That's Canadian Affairs. Oh, excuse me. CanadianAffairs.news, CanadianAffairs.news. Got to make sure you read that properly. If you're going to plug Megan's work, you better get it right. CanadianAffairs.news, CanadianAffairs.news. In 60 seconds, Alex Smythe will have the weather story of the day. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your morning business minutes. Canada's main stock index closed slightly lower yesterday. Toronto's TSX index slipped 13 points to 20,318. New York's Dow Jones average gained 157 points and the Nasdaq added 28. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index gained 51 points. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 73.7 cents U.S. Creditors have approved Metroland Media Group's restructuring proposal after the newspaper chain announced cuts to 60 percent of its workforce. Spokesman Bob Hepburn says the proposal was approved yesterday and reflects input from stakeholders. He notes there are still some steps to take before the plan can be implemented. Metroland announcing layoffs in September as it moved to a digital-only model and was ending its flyer business. And Canada Post says a technical issue, a problem that was preventing it from accepting some parcels during this busy holiday mailing season, has now been fixed. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo. Thank you very much, Karen. Let's head over to Alex Smythe for the weather report. Alex, all eyes on Atlantic Canada this morning. Yeah, Dave. Uh, so there has been a storm that's battered a lot of the maritime region the last few days. Well, that storm is now making its way further east to Newfoundland and the Labrador. So unlike the typical December storm, this system is bringing warm temperatures, strong winds and heavy rain. So Nova Scotia, New Brunswick and PEI all suffered widespread blackouts during this system and tens of thousands of people were left in the dark as a result. Now, while the storm is moving on to Newfoundland, it's not going to be as severe as it was over the rest of the region. So the region did see 100 kilometer per hour plus winds. It's not going to be as strong as it makes its way continued east. Same thing with the rain. It's not going to be as torrential as it was in Newfoundland and Labrador. So most of the, the island of Newfoundland will experience rain less than or under 50 millimeters. There are parts of southern Labrador, however, that will get up to 75 millimeters of rain by the end of the day today. The good news is the storm system will move quickly, so conditions will improve even as we make our way into tonight, overnight, and then into the next morning. Right on, Alex. Thank you for this one. And folks, get your umbrellas and your raincoats out. It's going to be a wet one out there in Newfoundland and Labrador. Coming up after the break. Dorothy McNaughton stops by. The Ontario government is looking for input on the 2024 budget. Community reporter Dorothy McNaughton will explain why Ontarians with disabilities should be inputting their feedback. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.
Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.